where do you start with a new church? Um, what's the first sermon that you preach? And these are questions I asked myself pretty much right when we felt God calling us to plant Oak Church. And, you know, you have these voices on your shoulders, and I have this little voice on my shoulder saying, it's, it's got to be about God, stupid. And this is, this is a seminary professor's voice also. So why not preach and proclaim and learn together about God? Why not attempt to, for many of us, remember things for some of us, probably all of us, learn other things about God, ourselves, about this world? Why not refresh our understanding and our calling about what God's done and what God's doing? So for the next five weeks, we're going to um, tour God's grand story, arching from Genesis to Revelation. We'll zoom in on kind of five themes, and they're not the only themes, but they're kind of the tent poles that, that keep us going. Creation and corruption, community and cross and new creation. You know, there's, there's a lot of stories that, that buzz around us all the time. You know, some of these stories distract us. Some of these narratives we, we live into, some of these are just the tapes running in the background that we don't even hear the hiss because we're so used to it. Some are really destructive uh, for ourselves and for others. And some of these stories, even religious stories, bear really inaccurate, woefully inaccurate depictions of who God is and how God is. So we'll start with the beginning, with Genesis, with creation, and we'll move through um, what I like to, to call the true story of the whole world. I'm going to invite Bradley to come up and read for us here. From Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 9. That one. He gave me a good one to start off with. Good couple chapters here. Good chapters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees, on the land that bear fruit with seed on it, according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night 
and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thanks, Bradley. So Genesis is appropriately named uh, Beginnings. 
It's beginnings of the world, beginnings of our knowledge of God that existed forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Knowing God as creator is important for our faith. Not just because it gives him some sort of powerful catbird seat high above us, uh, but also because knowing God as our maker tells us a lot about him, about ourselves, about our world. I'm going to butcher it right here. I should lean on Joe Longarino, but Jewish people pray, and when they pray, they often use a, a prayer that says, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaAlom. Blessed are you, Lord God, Lord our God, King of the universe. This way of knowing God is expansive, divinely charged. Our world is charged like the Psalms, like, like the book of Isaiah, like, like a Gerard Manley Hopkins poem that God's fingerprints are everywhere if you just open your eyes. So we dive into stories like the creation story, and it's full of power, and it's full of beauty, and it's full of truth. Because you see, it can be really dangerous if we don't deal with God in terms of stories. If we just flatly tag him with attributes like omnipotent and omniscient, uh, all the omnis, omnipresent, uh, sovereign. Because um, all that can be too hypothetical, right? It's, uh, it, we risk, you know, when we use words like this, we risk misunderstanding not as a God who is someone to be known, but as a God um, that's something to be known about. You know, I, I think of this kind of category error. There's this rock musician named Elvis Costello. When they asked him about writing about music, he says, well, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. There's just a problem. You can't do it well. There's something lost. So we make a mistake if we reduce a God that is always more the same way we do a, a bad job if we were trying to tell someone about our, our grandpa by, by telling attributes or reading his resume, right? Instead, I'd probably want to tell you about my grandpa who spent hours in his garden with his birds of paradise or how he always kept a garage fridge full of Coca-Cola and uh, a crisper drawer full of Reese cups or stocked it with Budweiser even though he was a scotch guy, right? or how he smiled with his Cincinnati Bengals grill apron on, or how he was always grumpy when he wore his Santa hat and passed out presents on Christmas Eve. He, had, he always wore his Grinch sweatshirt appropriately. So when we dig into these creation accounts, we not only learn something about God, but we begin to learn God, we begin to know God. For us, one of the most interesting and important things about God is how he created. By digging into God's words. And I, I'm going to borrow some insights um, from an author named Andy Crouch here so you can't t tell me I plagiarized. But throughout this, this creation litany, this, this generative poem, God playfully repeats, let there be. Let there be light into darkness. Let there be sky let there be land and sea. Let there be plant life and sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Uh, let there be plants and animals. Let there be humanity. All with the words someone might use when laying out a spread for a feast. Let there be. 
And then he offers an evaluation. And, and I really like the translation of this in the Jesus Storybook Bible that I read my daughter every night when God just points and says, that's good, that's good, that's good. No one knows that well. And it's good because God says it's good, because God says so. God makes, God's words make worlds. He makes worlds with his words. And theologians remind us that these worlds, even in their current brokenness, are still good. That, and, and this is a quote, the poison of evil and suffering can't undo or even overwhelm the goodness of creation. To the extent that the world is unspoiled by sin and evil and remains God's good creation, to the extent that God uses even evil to create something good, things in this world are God's gifts. Sunsets and swamps, calm seas and tempests, the honey and the sting. Sure, God's handiwork turned out well, but even the making, even the process was good. Whereas most um, ancient creation stories are the result between a, really just a fight between the gods, right? Like there's a Babylonian myth called the Enuma Elish, and Marduk vanquishes his opponents and brings forth life from a spark of conflict and then kills everyone that was associated with his enemies. But the Genesis in the Bible, the Genesis that comes from God is pure grace. He sets up the world in a way that it can be filled. And then he fills it. Not because he's lonely. God's never been lonely. He's never been desperate. He doesn't need us or anything. But out of amusement, out of abundance, out of an overflow of love, out of the words of his mouth. For us and for creation, this means that we exist as gifts. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever? My, my wife, again, I'm, I'm going to get nailed for this later. She all, she'll look at me normally when I'm a little frustrated with her, and, and she'll just kind of smile and say, I'm a gift. Remember, I'm a gift. <laughs> I am a gift. The Psalms and, and some of the other prophetic writings of Hebrew Scripture remind us... Um, not just that we're gifts, but we're gifts as part of a community of creation. We stand in, with creation in praise of our creator. You have these images like trees clapping hands or oceans roaring in praise. When God answers Job, he does it out of a whirlwind and says, you're part of this. Even Jesus himself warned the Pharisees that if his followers shut up, even the rocks would cry out. Sometimes we've emphasized how special we are um, in God's story at the expense of remembering that we're part of something. We're connected to a chorus of creation. And even God's words, let there be, are grace. Because let there be is a whole lot different than make it so. You know, this isn't God pointing a wand or God pointing a scepter at something. God's command is less of a demand and more delight. Make it so kind of pressures and coerces. Let it be creates room. Make space for flourishing. 
God's not insecure. He stands apart from his creation, but as Paul reminds us in Romans 1, he shows us a sort of power that generates more power and possibility. And isn't that what grace is? (laughs) Possibility where there wasn't any possibility? Isn't that what grace does? Give freely with no strings attached? But then in the story, God's let it be, let there be, shifts. It's a minor shift, but it's a major shift. It shifts from let there be to let us create humanity in our own image. Even though that divine fiat, that let there be, uh, keeps resounding like a chorus, loving the world into being more graceful, it's almost like when God says, let us create, that God leans in even closer when it comes time to make humans. So there's a few things here. I want to kind of break that. Let us create humanity in our own image. So the let us, we get a little glimpse into God here, into a creative society, right? The us and let us is like standing at a a jar door and just looking through and and you kind of hear the music and you see the dance and there's a party going on. Come to understand through God's story that this triune God acts in and for creation. We come to understand that in creation, God doesn't all of a sudden learn how to love for the first time. He didn't get new toys to play with. He's always been loving. Rather, he extends his love to us in creation. His delight and joy for human beings are designed he, he, because of his delight and joy for humanity, he designed us to bear a family resemblance. When Bradley read, I love that that translation um, said that the, the world was teeming. How, how about that? God made a teeming world and encouraged it to team, to, to be fruitful, to multiply more and more and more. Let us create. So create implies care. Kind of a craftsmanship. And attention to detail. A craftsperson knows his or her material and takes their time to love it into its best shape. You can ask someone like Nate who, who spends time over a potter's wheel with clay. It takes time. It takes attention. It's so detail-oriented and also so kind of evolving and unknown. There's a story, uh, I don't know how true it is or not, but during Renaissance Europe, that the Pope went to Michelangelo when he finished David and said, how did you make David? And Michelangelo said, I just had a slab of marble and I took away everything that wasn't David. (laughs) It's that kind of attention and that kind of paying attention to what is there that, that we can imagine this God taking care to make human beings. It's that same care we rely on God when we ask him to continue to remove things that don't look like us, that don't look like him. It's that same sort of care that we, we bask in and we, we try to seek to learn for the sake of others. Because I, I love this phrase, 
Love achieves its creativity by being perceptive. We learn to love people well when we pay attention to the smallest details. Our spouse tells us, or it'd be awesome if our spouse told us, our spouse shows us these little tells, like, like in poker, that we're supposed to know, but if we pay attention to those details, we can love her well, we can love him well, we can be creative in our love. A friend doesn't ever really tell you when he or she needs you to ask a hard question. Normally, the friend tells you the exact opposite of what they need. But paying attention and loving well means knowing what question to ask and when. Not just the content, but also the tone. We, when we're creative in our love, we, we definitely pay attention. We, we definitely um, are patient. We definitely take risk. Uh, but we also we, we develop this imagination that we don't settle for how things are because we see potential. We imagine healing and we imagine reconciliation and, and then we hope, for the, we hope to develop the virtue, the discipline, to, to have the bravery and the follow-through to take steps towards others. That brief restory, the later uh, Adam creation story, when uh, first God says we're going to create man and woman in our own image, male and female. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, we get, this, we get this second account, kind of this other angle. And, and by the way, when it says he created Adam, Adam's name comes from the Hebrew word for fertile earth, which is why human and humus sounds so similar. And we're planting a garden, so that is very important right now. But this second account, again, shows God's attention, his his detail-orientedness as he made humans. Because this is more of a dirt-under-the-fingernails creation story. We don't see a deity in a laboratory. We, we, we more see like a father kneeling at the beach, the sun playing on its back, and hands in a bucket of water and sand. We see a God that animates us, not by winding us up by like clocks, but more by kissing us, by inflating our lungs with his own breath, by breathing his spirit into our spirits. In the last part of that phrase, he uh, let us create humanity in our own image, in our own image, tells us a lot about ourselves. Tells us that our, our truest self, our best life now, the closest we can come to perfection is when we live in sync with who God is and how God acts. That's our very design. To obscure that image is uh, by either not knowing what God looks like. We, we can mess this up by not knowing what God looks like so we don't know what we're supposed to look like or by lacking our own self-awareness to know what we look like. And sometimes we need others to show us that, to be our mirrors. In our image also means that each and every one of us reflects our Creator in a really unique way. That God might create humans with difference, doesn't, it's not a problem to overcome, but it's even more variety to delight in. Man and 
uh, men and women are made to reflect not just the image of the Godhead, but also the love that occurs between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They defer to each other. They delight in each other. They give and receive in a dance. And the New Testament vision of this looks a lot like the church, a church that continues to build on this icon. Men and women in the body of Christ as members of one body, all contributing to a common life, but all distinct in our roles, our abilities, our shapes, as body parts. But this isn't, if I'm not being clear here, this isn't um, the we're all snowflakes sermon. You know, maybe a different day for that. That would be awesome. Um, Sure, we're all different, but I think we all share a similar calling here that might be expressed in different ways. The creation story shows us that at some level we're all called to recover and build on who we were really made to be in the first place. To recover and to build on who we were really made to be in the first place. God's very good creation. So that's my hope and that's my prayer for Oak Church. That we'll, we'll bring to life these callings. We'll renovate some of them or, or affirm other ones of them. That, that they'll be brought out and learned and celebrated and, and all of these callings, what they have in common is the calling to be creative because we're made in the image of a creative God. That we're going to cultivate a really distinct cocktail of gifts that each of us has been given for the sake of God, for the sake of others, for the sake of this neighborhood and this world. That we're going to live as though there's alternatives to the way things are. Because um, I think that's a major part of creativity, that it's not just... When we, I, was, I was talking to Abby the other day, and we said, if it was a family feud question about creativity, the top bar, uh, the 49 out of 50, would be the arts, right? That we all think arts when we think of creativity. But I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to think that a musician is called towards a life of more collaboration and creativity than a, a business person or a gas station clerk or a software coder. I think that's a mistake, right? Because I think creativity is a sign of grace. It's a sign of grace. It's a commitment to see things the way God sees things. Creativity creates something. Not necessarily out of nothing. Uh, I don't think we really create anything out of nothing anymore but something new out of something mundane. And it points, it always, this kind of creativity always points us back to God as our maker, as our giver of good gifts. Usually, um, when people talk about creativity, the, the, the main Bible texts that you think of are like Bezalel um, building the tabernacle, or... Um, the four-square city and Revelation being built with all these precious stones and uh, amazing detail. Um, measurements and stones and metals and pearl gates and all this stuff. But why don't, we, why don't we also, when we think of creativity, look at Jesus' life, his ministry. 
his words. They seem maybe more accessible for us, more democratic, right? Take, for instance, his Sermon on the Mount. Over and over, he offers creative, hopeful alternatives to how things are, quote. He tells us who's really blessed. That's a pretty creative move on his part. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Who's really blessed in God's eyes, who's really blessed in the coming kingdom that he's bringing to us. He tells us how to really subvert someone who's trying to have revenge on us or take advantage of us. Someone's trying to take your coat, (laughs) give them everything else that you have. Someone's trying to make you walk a mile, walk two miles with them. Those are pretty creative alternatives. He also shows us that righteousness goes much deeper than the surface. Perhaps maybe also when we talk about creativity in Jesus, we can look at Good Friday, where Jesus' creative alternative to establishing his kingdom by force or violence was actually to be executed on a criminal's cross by the state, by the church, for our sins, for our sake. Or maybe another bit of creativity from Jesus is if we look at Easter morning, where God's creative solution to sin and death running rampant, ruining his creation, was for Christ to initiate new life, for him to rise from the dead, for him to have a a body that won't die, for him to become the firstborn of new creation, for him to usher in renewal. In Jesus, we find this word made flesh. We find the Son of Man reminding us all what it looks like to truly be human. By Jesus' Spirit, Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that hovered over the waters, that same Spirit that breathed life into a lump of clay, we live and move and have our being. And by Jesus' obedience is let it be, not my will, but yours be done. He took up a cross and created a way where there was no way. We gather around this table in a minute here uh, to remember his death for our sins. We proclaim this death and resurrection to the world. We, We... trust in his promise not to abandon this world and, and we speak good news of grace. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for your good creation. We thank you for the risk that it must have taken to make room for us to make room for things to go wrong, to make room for us to disobey. We thank you for your delight in us, even in our brokenness, especially in our brokenness. We thank you that we even have a chance to be good just because you've called us good, that you've delighted in us. We thank you for your son bringing forth new creation, healing, restoration, 
peace. We thank you for your spirit, that same spirit that hovered over the waters, that same spirit that breathed into us, that same spirit that turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.